Hi, guys. It's Rachel. And today is an important episode of the show and maybe a conversation that's harder than any of us want to be having right now. To be honest, I have started and stopped recording this about 10 times. And I just had a conversation with myself where I was like, I don't, I don't want to do this episode. But this is a really important episode. And sometimes we have to talk about hard things, especially because they're hard things. And it's the not talking about stuff that hurts us the most. Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast. I spend so many hours of every single week reading and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and trying to find out as much as I can about the world around me. And that's what we do on this show. We talk about everything, life and how to be an entrepreneur. What happened to dinosaurs? What's the best recipe for fried chicken? What's the best plan for intermittent fasting? What's going on with our inner child? How's therapy working out for you? Whatever it is my guests are into, I want to unpack it so that we can all understand. These are conversations. This is information for the curious. This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. Today is a very poignant day for me. On September 29th, which is the day that this episode will air, my big brother Ryan committed suicide. And that happened 25 years ago today. And as it happens, September is Suicide Awareness Month. So because this is the 25th anniversary of his passing, and because this marks 25 years for me as a survivor of trauma, I wanted to do an episode to talk to those of you from many perspectives. So I want to talk to those of you who have also lost a loved one to their battle with mental illness, if hopefully to offer some encouragement or, or maybe just let you know what it looks like decades later. I want to have a conversation with anyone who has lost anyone they love because grief is a very long process and it can feel very lonely if you don't have people who speak your language and understand what it feels like. And also, I want to have this conversation because over the years, I have told this story in my books. I've told the story on podcasts and TV shows. I've told this story on stages and many times. I have had people come up and tell me that me sharing the story of what it felt like to lose my brother, that them understanding the perspective of a family member or a loved one who would be decimated by grief, that that story is what helped them 
to finally go to therapy or that that story is what helped them to finally take their meds or that that story is what kept them from taking their own life. It's not often that we hear maybe a little glimpse of what it would feel like for the people left behind. Because mental illness and depression and, in my brother's case, schizophrenia, the voices in his head, those voices tell you that you are not loved. Those voices tell you you don't matter. Those voices tell you that the world would be better off, that your family would be better off, that your friends would be better off if you didn't exist. And that is a lie. When I lost my brother, I lost my best friend. I lost my champion. I lost my protector. I lost my playmate in a family with so much chaos and pain and hardship. Like he was my person and then he was gone. He took himself out of the equation. And so dealing with the grief of his loss, dealing with the anger of his loss and all of that wrapped up in debilitating trauma because at 14 years old, I was the one who found him. All of that is so much to carry. And I don't want to have that conversation. I don't. I want to talk to you about funny things. And I want to tell you about how Noah sang the part of Pumbaa in Akuna Matata on the way to school today. I want to tell you light stuff and joyful stuff and frivolous things to make you laugh. I want to reach for positivity. And part of the reason that I am wired to do that is because of the trauma that I fought to rise above. But we can't only talk about that stuff because it's our unwillingness to have real conversations about the mental health crisis in this country or all over the world. It's our unwillingness to talk about those hard things and look at what's really going on that's making it easier for people we love to fall to the wayside, to not be seen, to not get the help that they need. I saw this TikTok a couple years ago where this beautiful man in his early 20s looked like a model showed this gorgeous photo of himself. It was an Instagram photo. It was a selfie that he took, and he was looking so sexy and beautiful and model-like, and he took a picture and posted it on Instagram. It was like, best day, like, you know, you know, one of those pictures. And then the TikTok was him saying, this was a couple of hours before I attempted suicide for the third time. He was like, check on your friends. Check on your family members. Just because someone is putting on a facade that everything is okay doesn't mean that everything is okay. And for this day, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a harder conversation, certainly. But I am a living, breathing example that you can get through the hardest things. And if this conversation isn't for you, I understand. Whew, I get it. But if you know that you need to listen today, There's a reason in your heart, there's something in this that you know that you need to listen or you're dealing with grief or you're going through something hard. Let's be strong enough to have this chat. 25 years ago, it seems impossible. It seems absolutely impossible to me that it could be 25 years 
In fact, I didn't even know it had been that long. It just so happens that my big sister, Christina, is in town. We're preparing to go on tour this week, and we needed an extra staff member. And I was like, hey, Chrissy, you want to come, you know, work the merch booth? Um, So if you're coming to tour, give Christina a big hug because she's being great and filling in for us and being a team player. But my big sister's here, and she was the one who said, man, can you believe This week is 25 years. I guess that's a really good place to start if we want to start with something beautiful is that I want to say, oh, I can't believe it's been 25 years since I talked to Ryan. I can't believe it's been 25 years since I've been with him. But that's not my truth. I can't believe it's been 25 years since I've hugged him. I can't believe it's been 25 years. Like, since I've physically hugged my brother. I promise I'm not going to cry this whole this whole episode. Whew. But I can't tell you, oh, it's been 25 years since I've talked to him. I talk to my brother every day. Oh, well, bless. <laughs> every day of my life, I feel him with me. And I'm crying because it makes me emotional, but it doesn't make me sad. I really did want to tell you guys that because I wanted it to maybe give you some hope or some comfort. My brother is with me all the time. I feel his presence with me all the time. And I believe I'll feel his presence with me as long as I'm here on this earth. I think he's my guardian angel. I ask him for advice. I ask him for guidance. I I mean, I really do. And I didn't feel that in the beginning. In fact, I wrote down on my notes today, for those of you who have experienced a loss, however it's happened, it took at least five years, at least five, before I started to feel like a normal human being again. And I can't speak to what it felt like for my parents or my sisters, because that was their journey. But for me, it took at least five years. I will get messages or people come up and talk to me at the coffee shop or whatever, and they'll tell me a story. They'll tell me that they've lost a partner. They tell me that they've lost a sister or a parent. And they'll say, you know, I just, I I don't know why it's still, I'm still struggling so much. It's been 18 months or it's been three years. And I just... Please give yourself grace in the process. There is no time frame for loss. Nobody gets to tell you how long you're allowed to grieve for. In fact, I was climbing a mountain this weekend. I ended up getting to do a climb with one of my friends I hadn't seen in a while. And I found out in that climb that she had suffered a miscarriage this year. And so the two of us were able to climb this mountain together and just share stories of losing babies and miscarriage and how hard that is. And the theme that both of us said was that it took so much longer to heal from that loss than we could have ever believed possible. And that other people would look at it and sort of be like, man, why are you still upset about this? Why are you still crying about that? You know, why are you still? And I just, grief is so deeply personal. Nobody 
gets to tell you how long that takes. Nobody gets to tell you that. I do believe that after a passage of time, you have to start, you have to push and fight for your healing. You have to do the work. You have to dig in, especially if you have kids who are counting on you or people who are counting on you or you you know, you know in your heart and your spirit if you need to stand back up and go again and figure it out. And it's brutal, brutal to do the work to get to a place where you start to feel okay. But that grief can still knock you sideways a decade later or two decades later. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Debit card users, listen up. You've worked hard for your money. Now it's time to make it work even harder for you. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can get cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Earn on things like gas, groceries, and even that midday latte. And to top it off, there are no fees, period. Yep, that means you won't be charged fees on your checking account. Transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. I was on a plane going to Vancouver, literally just last week. And I watched the movie Vivo, which I don't know if you guys have seen. It's on Netflix. Yes, I watch cartoons. Don't. I'm a mom and also I love cartoons, so whatever. But I was watching that movie Vivo and it's about this little monkey who is best friends with this old man who's a musician. And it's also Lin-Manuel Miranda, who you probably know I'm obsessed with and have like, oh, I just want to be friends with so badly. But in this movie, the monkey has this, this older man who's a musician and spoiler alert, the old man dies. It's the whole plot of the movie, so I don't feel like I'm giving anything away. But the old man dies, and there's a song that Bevo sings about him, about the music being taken away, that the music has been taken. And I'm on a plane to Vancouver, and I just start bawling because this song reminds me of Ryan. Ryan was an incredible musician. And I'm like thinking, oh, this perfectly, these lyrics are perfect. The music got taken away. And so it does not matter how much time has passed. You are always going to feel that grief, but also there's beauty in that. The fact that 25 years later, I'm still emotional about how much I love my brother is so beautiful. It means he was he was loved. I think something I'm worried about a lot 
when I was younger, I worried that people, that they would forget him. And to be honest, I'm sure a lot of people have. I'm sure like people he went to middle school with or high school maybe don't remember him anymore. And I was so worried about that because it's sort of like, okay, I'm going to (laughs) reference, I'm going to reference another animated film, but like in the movie Coco. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I'm such a nerd. In the movie Coco, if you haven't seen that, it's like when the last person who remembered you dies, you your spirit finally dies. And I don't want that. And I feel like when I was younger, I really worried about it. And then the older I get, the more I understand that I keep this story alive, that my children know stories about him, that there's photos all over my house of him, that I tell stories that I tell you guys about him. Like there's so many incredible things that have come from his life. It was 17 years long. But as long as I am alive, he is alive. And I didn't feel like I could have held space for that decades ago, that my healthy perspective on his loss is really something that has grown over time. And I want those of you who are dealing with grief to know that. You don't have to worry about those kind of things in the beginning because it it is a long process and it is an evolution. And I find more and more acceptance in this being the story of his life and my life. I find more and more acceptance the older I get. I mean, even 10 or 15 years ago, I didn't have as many pictures in my house as I have now because to see a picture of him would make me feel a lot of pain. And now it's it's just such a celebration of his life. In fact, the thing that I used to tell people when I still, to, to be honest, I still do, when I meet someone who's grieving and we're talking about the loss, my prayer for them and my hope for them, and I will say it to them, is that someday their birthday will be more powerful for you than the day that they died. Because for almost a decade, September 29th was, it eviscerated me. For months in advance, I would be sick to my stomach. I would be anxious. I would be overwhelmed. I'd be triggered by everything. My PTSD would get out of control. I had so much fear about the day. And then at some point, I made a conscious decision that I would stop letting the day he died have that much power over me. I made a conscious decision that I would now put all of my energy into April 29th, which is his birthday. I want to celebrate his life. I don't want to mourn his death. His death was an instant. His life was 17 years long. Or honestly, it's still going today. I believe that we are souls, that our essence is still here, even if our physical body is not. And so I believe that I still feel my brother's presence because his soul is still energetically here and protecting me and the kids. And yeah, that's what I believe. So 
I want to celebrate the life that he lived while he was here on this earth. And I think it would be very easy to really spiral out and obsess over the last couple years of his life, which is when his mental illness really got horrible. But if I obsess over that, I'm really focusing on him when he was at his worst, when he was in his biggest struggle, when he was in the most hardship. And I would prefer instead to focus on the good times. Because here's the thing, Ryan wasn't superhuman. He wasn't better or worse than anyone else's brother, but he was my brother. And so he's superhero to me. And the person you love, the person you lost, we can come up with all of these things, but they were just human. They had flaws. They had bad days. But we get to choose what we focus on, and I want to focus on the good things. I want to focus on those times. That feels very important to me. That's his legacy. I am Ryan's legacy. I really am. I understand that more and more, that I don't feel pressure to live life that he couldn't live, but I do feel like he is such a huge part of me, such a huge part of my creativity and the work that I do and the work I will continue to do that if I live well, I'm honoring him. And I think the same is true for you. You honor the legacy of the one that you love when you do your best to do your best. I do want to speak a bit to trauma because beyond the loss of my brother, that was such a cataclysmic event in my life. And I have spoken about it a ton, but it's my story. It's, it's such a part of me. And I, I don't want to rehash details. I think I've written about it in multiple books now. But what I do want to tell you is, one, we don't often understand how much the trauma we've gone through is really affecting us. And if you've gone through severe trauma, and there's all kinds of trauma, so please honor your experience. And if you're feeling off or things are hard, or please talk to someone, please do the research, please look it up. Because I had really severe PTSD because of what happened and because of finding him and what I saw and everything that happened afterwards. I didn't know I had PTSD. I went to therapy. My parents put me in therapy for the first time right after he died. And that was honestly just sort of to help me function. And I do, I have so much appreciation for that therapist. I hated going to therapy. Oh, I hated it. I didn't want to talk about everything that had happened. It was so uncomfortable. I hated every minute. But that therapist, I think, is the reason I stayed sane. I was obsessively replaying everything I had seen in my mind, obsessively all day, every day. It was torture. I was a little girl. I mean, I think of my 14-year-old now, and I can't imagine, oh, I can't, I could throw up just like thinking about him having to see what I saw and then try and figure out how to grapple with that. So I was obsessively thinking about what I had seen and 
that therapist was instrumental, so instrumental in helping me create coping mechanisms that would sort of compartmentalize that. And I'll just tell you what he told me. I don't know if this will be helpful to any of you, but he had me set a timer for 10 minutes every day at the same time. And I would dread this. It would just, oh God, just telling you the story makes me sort of sick. But I would set a timer for 10 minutes and he said, okay, you pick the time, whatever time it is, let's say it's 2.45. And at 2.45 every day for 10 minutes, you're going to think about everything that you saw. You're going to make yourself think about everything that you saw. But if it's not 2.45 to 2.55, you're not allowed to think about it. And if it pops into your brain, you tell your brain that it's not time. But hey, don't worry. There's going to be time later to process everything or try and process what you saw. It's 2.45 to 2.55 every single day. And it sounded crazy to me at 14, but that giving my brain parameters, it was the first time that I started to sleep again. It was the first time that I started to have space in my head, it really, really helped me. And that is not a tool that my parents could have given me. That's not a tool I could have read about. I was 14 years old in the 90s. So I am such a huge proponent of therapy, and I've been talking about it for as long as I've had any kind of platform because that single moment, that single tool and resource really, really changed my life. And I've experienced so many of those in the course of my life. I've had so many moments with therapists or teachers or counselors where they've given one little idea that changed everything. The trauma was a lot, obviously, but I was just learning how to function in that time. And I didn't stay in therapy. I probably should have just kept going to therapy, but I hated it. And so I just told my parents I didn't want to go. And to be honest, they were such a mess. They couldn't have really enforced much of anything. So I was never diagnosed with PTSD. I never even knew that was a thing. And I think I've told this story before on on the show that I was reading a book when I was like 20 about, it was a memoir of someone who had been raped And the book was about the PTSD that she had after her assault. And it she started to describe her PTSD and it, I was like having an out-of-body experience. I didn't know that the things that I had been dealing with for six years were because of something else. I just thought I am wired to have insomnia. I'm wired to have racing thoughts. I'm wired to be terrified of loud sounds. I'm wi- like all of this stuff I couldn't understand what was I just thought that's how I was. And then I read about this and I googled symptoms of PTSD and saw the full list and had this like incredible moment where I realized what was going on and then got myself back into therapy to learn to deal with that stuff. And it still does show up. Insomnia is gone for the most part. I don't really have insomnia unless I have a, you know, something big's going on. So that's a different kind of insomnia. I'm still very sensitive to loud sounds for obvious reasons. Like I heard a gunshot that day and my whole life, everything went 
you know, so that sound really, anything that sort of is a loud, unexpected sound is is really scary. And I have a lot of friends who are veterans who say the same thing, like there's so much trauma for them associated with that noise or any sort of loud, jarring noise. So I still have a few things, but so manageable, absolutely so manageable. And I have these tools now and I know what to do to to help myself and I really oh gosh guys I know that with this many listeners there's so many of you who are dealing with your own kind of trauma whether it's childhood or something you've been through recently or maybe something you're going through right now but I swear on everything I hold I promise there is help and there is hope and it can get better it can. It really, really can. So please lean into resources, lean into information, lean into your internet research, which is absolutely free to give yourself ideas for how to help get through this process because it is possible to heal from trauma. I am taking my four children away this weekend to go skiing. And I think if you're a parent like me, you understand how important it is to have a kitchen available to you when you have four kids, which is why Airbnb is always the place that I head to just make the vacation easier. And I have always used Airbnb as a place to stay, whether it was for work or family or a girl's weekend. But more and more, my friends are using Airbnb in a totally different way, as a business, as a way to invest in property and earn money for it. While you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle, and it's a great way to earn some extra money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Almost every morning of my life, I have oatmeal. Seriously, during the winter, having something hot in the morning really makes a big difference in my day. Quaker has been a trusted name in oatmeal for over 145 years, which means they've been milling oats since before the invention of the zipper, the stop sign, or ballpoint pens. Quaker has something for everyone, whether it's old-fashioned or quick oats that are good for cooking or baking. And while a ton of things have changed, the good stuff remains the same. Quaker, getting up to some good since 1877. Look for Quaker Oats at your local grocery store. Guys, no two listeners of the show are exactly alike, which means that no two vacations you take are going to be exactly alike either. And if you're looking for a place that will serve all of you, Texas has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities that allow for an infinite number of different travel experiences. I love Texas so much, I moved my family there for five years. Because here's the deal, Texas has it all. Are you a beach person? We got you. If you love a rugged vacation, 
Not my jam, but there's plenty of campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. My favorite part about Texas? The food. It is the thing I miss the absolute most. Whether you love barbecue or Tex-Mex or just want to be in cities that take their food very seriously. You can enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. Visit TravelTexas.com slash get your own to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash get your own. I'm such a huge proponent of therapy and I love learning about new modalities for that. So I've talked quite a lot and I'm going to keep talking about a book that I think all of you should read called No Bad Parts by Richard Schwartz. I also shared it on my Instagram, which I never like barely share anything in my Instagram feed, but I felt so passionate about that book. I think every human being should read it. But in that process, you're essentially working with, almost imagine like you're inner child, yourself at younger ages. And in doing some IFS work, I understood a lot about that time period that I had never really understood before. And that there are still ghosts and there are still things inside of me, obviously, that exist from that time and are kind of frozen there. And one that I was so shocked to discover recently In No Bad Parts, he does a lot of exercises, and one of the exercises is essentially for you to get to know a part of you that's like one of the worst parts of you. So what's a part that every other part of you hates? And if you know IFS or you've read the book, you'll understand what I'm talking about. But there's this exercise where you're getting to know like the worst part of yourself. And I'm sure I've got a handful in there. But the one that I wanted to explore and get to know was rage. Rage, not anger, rage. Because I can feel rageful sometimes. And, oh, the work that I've done on that is more about, okay, how do I get rid of this thing? But IFS is about understanding that every single part of yourself originally was created to protect you. So every single thing that you do, every bad choice that you make, right? Like reaching for that vodka or people who have eating disorders, people who are addicts, people who feel rage, people who feel anxiety, like every single version of you, all of those parts and pieces originally were created as a protective mechanism. So IFS doesn't try and get rid of those parts. IFS tries to understand them tries to heal them, tries to love them, tries to make that piece of you feel whole and complete. And so I was like, well, this would be interesting to explore the rage. And so the exercise is you're sort of going inside, you're finding this, this might, maybe going to sound super woo-woo, but I feel like y'all are, you're my people, you're down with this. Going inside and sort of identifying and imagining what this part looks like, how are they acting, you sort of separate it from the other parts. And in this work, every time I had done this, when I would find a part of myself or what I would imagine a part of myself, it would be myself at a younger age. There's me at nine. There's me at three. There's me at 36. But in this instance, it wasn't even a being. It was like 
this swirling energy of of rage, uh, Tasmanian devil, or like in Moana. Yes, that's three animated films I am quoting in Moana when Tefiti gets turned into Teka because she's this like rage monster. Like it was, it wasn't even a substantive thing. This creature I was looking at, it was just this energy of so much anger, so much bitterness, all of these things. And one of the therapeutic, we're going on a real deep dive into my psyche right now, guys, but one of the therapeutic mechanisms I guess I have is in doing work with my inner child over the last year, I imagine them when they're healing, I imagine them in a park playing with my brother. So in that park is all the healed versions of myself. It's age three, it's age nine, and I have brought different ages, different parts to this park. And every time I imagine this little girl version of me going into the park and seeing my brother, there's so much love and there's, they just run to him and they throw their arms around him. And it's like this most, it's just this beautiful healing thing for me. And as a quick side note, the reason that something like this works is because our subconscious doesn't know the difference between what you imagine and what has really happened right? It's why you can give yourself an anxiety attack imagining a scenario that hasn't actually happened. Your subconscious doesn't know the difference. So if you, if your subconscious can hurt you with that, can also help you. Visualizations like this can be really powerful and healing. And this park and my brother and these different ages of me, they all hang out there together. And so I thought, oh, I'm going to take this rage to the park. That's where it needs to go. It, it, it's on a healing journey. It needs to go to the park. And it was the first time that I took a part of myself in this visualization. And that rage saw my brother and got angrier, which was so helpful for me to understand. I thought, oh, if the rage could see him, it'll be this moment, like it's loving and reconnection. And that's why the rage exists. The thoughts that started swirling in my head were not even things I had any awareness of. They weren't in my consciousness at all. But the number one thought was, you left me. You left me here. You left me with these people by myself. You left me on my own. You took yourself out of the equation and you left me behind. Because you can love someone so much and also absolutely hold anger as part of your grieving process that they are gone. It was so helpful for me to understand. And in my imagination or my visualization or whatever it was I was working in, that version of my brother was like, I know, I'm so sorry. He just kept saying, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And he put his arms around this like energy rage thing. And slowly that rage took the form of a 14-year-old girl. It's been 25 years, but it's my story. I'm still discovering how it affects me. You all have your version of that. You all have your version of 
something you've gone through or a situation that you've gone through that you still need to unpack and learn about and grow from. This is my journey. This is your journey. And we get to decide what it means. You've probably heard me say before, I used to always say, oh, everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. But it was only because I had never gone through anything horrific enough for those words to be made obsolete. I don't believe everything happens for a reason. But I believe it is possible for us to find meaning in our lives for what we have lived through in our lives. To me, being healthy is really grounded in nutrition. Honestly, what I eat and what my kids eat is super important to how we live our lives. It's why I love a company like Thrive Market because Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories. So when I go online and I use their on-site filters, I can figure out exactly my lifestyle needs and trust that what I'm getting from Thrive Market is what I want to take into my body. When you join Thrive Market, you're also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. You can join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash rach for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash rach thrivemarket.com slash rach this episode is brought to you by progressive where drivers who save by switching save nearly 750 dollars on average plus auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Two years ago today, my last book came out. And my last book is called Didn't See That Coming. It's all about how we survive hard stuff. Basically, that things are made so much harder when you don't know to expect them. Losing your job, going through divorce, losing a loved one. I think those seasons are so much more difficult if you don't have warning. And so I thought, man, if there's anything I could write about really well, it's how to live through hard things. And that book is dedicated to my brother. And the last chapter of that book is all about him. And I would love, if you don't mind, I'd love 
to read you the last chapter of that book. Maybe just to give you a little something today. Or maybe because it's something you need to grab, you don't have to buy it. You can grab it at your library, get it from a friend. Or if you want to hear me read it, it's on audio. But this is the chapter about Ryan. Just when I think I've told you every story I have about the most traumatic part of my life, another bubbles to the surface. Big grief is funny like that. Just when you think you've got it completely in your grasp, something comes at you and surprises you. This story is difficult for me to think on, and also the greatest example I have of hope, even in darkness. In order for me to tell you this memory, you'll have to walk on a journey with me through the morning that my brother died. It won't be graphic, but it's hard for me to write it out, and it may be equally difficult for you to read it. But we can do that for each other, right? We can hold space for each other's pain and each other's joy and maybe find a lesson in it for our own lives as well. I can't remember every single thing I've told you about that morning. I've written about it in three books now and talked about it on stage many times, so I can't quite recall what you might already know and what are my own shards of memory. But here it is, this version, in this way, for this purpose. It was a Monday morning. September 29th, to be exact. I was a month into my freshman year of high school, and the awkwardness that had followed me throughout middle school was more evident than ever. I got up early that morning, something I never did back then, but I wanted to try. I remember thinking that when I woke up. I remember thinking, I want to try and fit in. I want to try and be popular. I want to at least try. I'd never had any idea how to achieve those things, but on that particular morning, I decided that how I would try was that I would blow dry my hair. I was wearing a terry cloth robe with rainbow stripes, something Aunt Linda had bought for me for $8 during one of her many Goodwill trips. I put my hair half up that day and curled the ends. I wanted to try eyeliner next, but I wasn't sure exactly how to apply it. Then I heard the sound. It didn't sound like a gunshot. It sounded like books falling off a high shelf and toppling to the floor. I laughed nervously at my reflection in the mirror. I knew even then. I didn't know what had happened, but my brain kept telling me, Ryan dropped a box of books. But I remember laughing. I remember that it was forced. I remember putting down a blue eyeliner pencil and thinking, better make sure Ryan knows he needs to take me to school. My parents were both at work by then and Ryan could drive. There was no question of whether or not he'd take me to school because he always did. There was no reason to remind him. I wasn't even ready for school yet. I was still wearing that robe. But when something horrific happens, your instinct senses it long before you do. My brain needed a reason to go into his room, and that was the one it gave me. I don't want to talk about what I saw. That shard of memory is mine to carry. I will tell you that I couldn't process what was in front of me. Everything was so wrong, but I didn't know why. I didn't scream, and I didn't run out of the room. I walked over to him on legs that could barely move. 
and I reached out my hand. I can still see my fingers shaking violently as they reached out to touch first his throat and then sliding them to the side to feel for his pulse, just like they had taught us in health class. There wasn't one. It wasn't until I was that close to him that I saw the gun clutched in his hand. My brain finally understood. Then I did run out of the room. I ran all the way to the kitchen where the phone was, and I called 911. I explained as best I could to the woman on the other end what had happened. I don't remember much of that conversation except for one single piece. I latched on to the same question, and I screamed it again and again into the receiver. Is Ryan going to hell? I sobbed to that stranger. Is Ryan going to hell? Is he? You have to understand, I was raised in an incredibly conservative Pentecostal church. I was raised to believe that if you died with unforgiven sins, you went straight to hell. Since killing someone is a sin— The belief held by our church was that if you killed yourself, you'd sinned. And since you couldn't ask for forgiveness afterwards, it didn't matter what kind of life you had lived before, you were doomed. In what felt like hours, but surely was minutes, police came and firemen and everyone rushed in and out of Ryan's bedroom in the back while I sat in the living room wearing my rainbow robe with my hair half up. One by one, our family members arrived and our house began to fill with people in various stages of grief and shock. My Mima sat in the corner of the room weeping. God forgive him. She wailed again and again. She was positive that he had committed an unpardonable sin. The whole day was a nightmare. The week that came after was filled with millions of painful moments that each cut in their own way. Calling to tell family and friends, Writing the obituary, my father explaining that he'd chosen a mint green casket because he didn't want Ryan buried in something dreary, being afraid to sleep in my room because it was next to his, worrying about my mom who could barely function, worrying about my dad who I was positive would kill himself too, worrying about my sister who was pregnant at the time. There was so much worry, too much I can now see, for a child of 14 to take on. Even when people asked how they could help or tried to offer condolences, I had no idea what to say. In the midst of it all, our house was overrun by casseroles and flowers and notes and visitors. All those funerals we'd faithfully attended over the years stood for something. Over 400 people came to Ryan's service. It was standing room only. I cannot possibly express to you how much this meant to our family, how much it means to me still all these years later. And then, a few days after the service, something even more meaningful happened. A card arrived in the mailbox, along with the dozens of other condolences, but this one was addressed to me. No one recognized the name or the return address. When I opened it, there was a handwritten note from the 911 operator who answered my call that day. She told me that she was so sorry about what had happened. She told me that I was brave and strong. She told me she wanted to make sure I knew for sure that Ryan was in heaven. Until I read that note, I hadn't remembered screaming the question again and again. 
This stranger gave me hope when I thought I'd lost it all. This stranger spoke truth into my life when I needed it most. I don't know that I'll ever do any work in my life as important as that 911 operator did by sending me that letter. But I do believe her willingness to reach out to a scared little girl is a big part of the healing that allows me to write these words down for you today. This book is my attempt to write something similar to that letter. With a few lines, she was able to shift my feelings on what had happened. With a few lines, she gave me a truth no one in my family would have dared believe, that the creator of the heavens and the earth is infinitely bigger and more loving than any religious dogma can contain. With a few lines, she saw my pain, and she made me believe that it mattered. I see your pain. I see how badly you were hurt. I see how desperately you want to feel hopeful. I see you, even in the midst of everyone else, because I have touched sorrow just like you have. I understand this is a club that none of us asked to join, but we're here now, and we have to make it mean something. I refuse to believe we've walked through all of this because we're cursed. I can't believe we were made to suffer. I won't accept that that's why you're here. There is goodness in this world, and there is light inside you still, even if it's been dimmed, even if others have tried to extinguish it completely. I know you didn't plan to walk down this path, but you're on it. I know if you've made it this far, you are strong enough to see it through. You will get through this. You will. Humans can endure anything so long as they cling to hope for what tomorrow will bring. My brother, and so many like him, isn't here to read these words because he lost hope. Years battling mental illness made him believe that life was hopeless, and there is a huge part of me that is happy he doesn't have to endure one more second of that pain. But you know what? He lost so much. He lost hope, and then he lost everything. He lost out on a future that might have been. He lost the chance to meet his wife. He lost the moment when his son was born and two daughters after that. He lost the chance to dance with his sisters on their wedding days. He lost 70-odd years of holidays and birthday parties and Fourth of July barbecues. He lost running his first marathon and ever going to a Dodgers game again. He lost out on wrinkles around his eyes and holding his grandbabies. He lost out on a whole beautiful life that could have been because he made a momentary decision that changed everything. I am telling you this now because some of you are making a decision every single day that is pushing away happiness, a future that was meant to be yours. Not making a decision is a decision in itself. Not choosing to get help is choosing to stay stuck. Not standing back up is what's keeping you on the ground. I know it's hard and it's scary and maybe you're not sure what to do, but I swear to you that life can be beautiful again. Good things will always be available if you look for them. Don't waste this opportunity. This life you're living is a wildly precious gift that most people take for granted. Don't take it for granted. Live into every inch of it. 
Live it boldly and with courage. Live it hopefully and with kindness. Live it as yourself. Live it for yourself. Live it for those who can't. Live it for those who walk beside you. Live it for those who came before, those who've passed on, and those who will carry your legacy forward long after you're gone. Please live this beautiful, hard, wonderful life. And since you will live it, as you were always meant to do, resolve to live it well. If you or someone you know is struggling, having suicidal thoughts, and you need to talk to someone, the number to dial on your phone is 988. That is the national hotline. It is available 24 hours in multiple languages, and someone is available to talk to you if you need it. 988. Check on your friends. Show up. Don't expect that someone has the ability to reach out to you for help. Sometimes, all we need is just one single person to give us hope when we have none. Thank you for having this conversation with me today. Use it as an excuse to go have this conversation with others. It's important that we break the stigmas associated with mental illness and suicide. I'll be back soon with more conversation. And until then, remember always, I love you and I'm rooting for you. The Rachel Hollis Podcast is produced by me, Rachel Hollis. It's edited by Andrew Weller and Jack Noble. Hey mom, first things first, thank you. It's my one year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, mom, Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. It's your time. Join global thought leader, executive producer, and New York Times bestselling author T.D. Jakes and today's leading culture shifters for an experience unlike any other. At the 2024 International Leadership Summit, spiritual and business leaders can gain the practical tools they need to maximize their timing for success. With world-class discussions, breakout sessions, and networking opportunities, this is where your dreams turn into reality. Timing is everything, and your time is now. March 21st through 23rd in Dallas, Texas, Register today at thisisils.org.